When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast. Today, we have special guest Yogi Roth. Yogi is a football anchor on the Pac-12 Network. He has a show on the CW called All American Stories. He has Life in a Walk documentary, The Yogi Roth Show. He's a storyteller, a filmmaker, a writer, a husband, a father, and someone who has just great wisdom that I learned a ton from. Uh, we talk about confidence, about courage, about how we can create this free fun, about connection versus relationships, um, about, you know, talk about fear. Uh, time is the ultimate currency, you know, leadership, peak performance, coaching. So a lot of great content today. Sit back, have an open mind. Let's learn from Yogi Roth. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Master Mindset Podcast, a spot to get your mind right. You can't just train the body. You got to train the mind. We have a great guest today. Super pumped for this. Um, from PA to LA, number 82, I thought you knew. In the booth, he's the truth. We got Mr. Yogi Roth in the house. Yogi, what, what's, what's up, brother? <laughs> that was good. I like that. I like the rhymes. Thanks for having me, man. Usually we meet in a ballroom in like Seattle, Washington or something like that, talking about Cougar football. Um, yes. But I'm, uh, I'm pleasantly jacked to, to do this, man. I, I, we, we connect a bunch of levels. I got all your books. Uh, we've shared them in this house. We've done the journaling. So uh, we've connected. You called me out from jump when we met and said, hey, I think we should connect. And, and you were right. And I'm glad that we're doing your show finally. Well, especially now that you are father of two, you have a, a baby and we, we've had five babies, but uh, <laughs> maybe just give us a quick life, life update, man. Life is really good. You know, it was, um, it was a hard year for everybody. You know, I, I have a friend who taught me this phrase that I'll hijack. His name's Ken Black. And he said, uh, without no, without any clouds, there's no silver linings. And he was right. You know, 2020 was, was a challenging year, right? We all dealt with Corona in our own right. Uh, for us, we moved, we had a baby. Uh, I lost a mom. Like it was, you know, football season was flipped on its head. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And amid all that, time became a reminder of like, that is the greatest currency. You know, and when I was growing up, my dad would always say, Yogi, you either have time or money, rarely both. And I'd always be like, nah, nah, I'm gonna do both. Like I figured out. And I, I've realized that time is the greatest currency. So that, that, that's how I'm doing. I'm spending a lot of time and I've spent a lot of time with now almost 11 month old, uh, you know, a six year old who's in his last week of kindergarten, my wife and I, who just continued to get tighter and tighter and falling deeper and deeper in love. And then even the game of football, I fell even more in love with and storytelling. So yeah, I'm doing well. It's a, it's, it's fun to be, to be in one location, man. I'm usually flying a ton. And this past year I haven't done a ton of that. So it's been, it's been a joy to be home and then kick it up again and do spring football. And now here we go. Football season's around the corner. I know one of your, your catchphrases I think is great is, is how great is ball. Maybe let's apply, you know, sports and football is one of the best life teachers. So what have you applied as a student athlete coach 
um, and you've sat down with a lot of great thinkers, doers, but like using sport as the analogy and the, and the platform, what have you used from that experience in life to being a father, to being a husband? Yeah, everything. You know, I mean, even, even like as recently as last night, you know, we're on this big kick and you've done it because you've had six-year-olds before. And, you know, we talk a lot about choices in our house and with choices come consequences or back ends. And, you know, so to me, the same thing is in practice. Like if you choose to wake up early and study your playbook and, and work out and train and apply your mind and not party the night before, um, you're going you're gonna to deal with a really good consequence, right? You're going to play. Right. And if you choose to go do those things, the other consequences, you're going to get beat out. You know, so we do that all the time, even if it's like, you know, hey, our six year old wants dessert. And we're like, well, that's cool, but you got to finish your dinner. And nobody gets dessert in our house unless everybody's finished their dinner. So like the team concept of like, hey, we're on the same squad here. Um, so I, I everywhere. Right. I, there's a Ted Lasso sign. This is believe in my oldest son's room. So every lesson I learned on the field, I am either living or preaching or being reminded that I need to teach that on a minute by minute basis. That's great. You talk about learning. I think I would love to learn about who is Yogi as a kid. Maybe give us growing up in the Northeast, kind of what, what you were like as a kid. Yeah, I bet, I bet we were similar. You know, I was a constant chip on the shoulder kid who loved the ocean. Every time we would visit, it was about an eight, eight drive. We'd go once a year. And my mom said, I would just I'd be crazy when I'd get there. Like, I just couldn't get enough of it. Uh, and then once I started getting competitive sports, I couldn't get enough of that. You know, here I am, a kid who's, you know, in the 1980s or now, like, I've got a unique name, right? So growing up in Northeastern Pennsylvania, which is a pretty conservative community, I have a refugee mom. Uh, my name is Yogi. My brother's gay. Like, nothing really fit, but what worked was sport. And that was my language. And when I would get either picked on or bullied, and I can remember people driving by our house and calling me out a bunch of different names, whether it was, you know, traditional bullying or anti-Semitic bullying, I would just say, cool, let's just go play. And I just channeled all of my process through play. Like, and I do that to this day, like playing basketball is my therapy. And the cool part is that it's called play therapy now. It's like a thing. Right. Growing up, that that's how I dealt with everything. So I was somebody who just wanted to I've, I think I always wanted a shot. And that's really carried me on my whole life. I've always said, get me get me one rep and I'll show you I could play, whether that was in summer camp at Notre Dame or get me one rep at Pitt and I'll show you I could start. And I would or hey, let me let me get your number and we're going to fall in love. That was my wife. I met her on a plane, you know, or give me a chance to call this game. And I won't leave the booth. And, it, you know, my career has been, I guess this is my 16th, my 20th year in major college football, something like that. 21st year, in major college football, 15th year, I think, broadcasting. So I think that that's the thread for me, man. Well, maybe let's just kind of give us a window when you're at a pit. You got a chance to play alongside one of the greatest receivers who ever played the game, Larry Fitz, right? Maybe talk mm -hmm. about your experience at Pitt, what you learned from one of the greatest ever. And maybe what, what, what you liked about being I think college football was so unique right yeah it, Larry was amazing you know my first two years calling my roommate was Antonio Bryant and Antonio was a Blitnikoff winner All-American yeah like people like you and I remember him famously threw his jersey at Bill Parcells's face at a Cowboys practice um, to this day the best receiver I've ever seen with my eyes but he didn't have the other half like he didn't have what you train he didn't have the the mindset the mental game 
to deal with everything that came with pressure and expectations and all, and all of those things. And then it comes Larry for my last two years of college. He literally was trained from a young, young age, how to be a pro, right? He was training uh, his hand-eye coordination when he was two, three years old. His grandfather, I think was an optometrist and would do these different eyeball exercises with him to, to, to help him gain strength. And he's one of the best, if not the best ever at citing the football now. But when he showed up, you saw a big bodied, really kind human who caught everything, struggled running routes. Uh, and he began to just apply himself. How am I going to work on my hips and my flexibility? How can I become a complete player? And he was eventually when it when obviously when it, when, he, when he left Pitt. But the, the thing that stuck with me probably the most on the field was after his first game. You know, in college, every sports team pretty much does this. So they label someone a big brother and a little brother, in, at least for men um, in, in college football. He was my little brother. So I had to kind of teach him the playbook. My job was basically to coach him up to take my position, which he took him out all 10 days. Anyway, after our first game, I think it was like it was like Miami of Ohio or Kent State, like one of those Mac games. On our way to the game, it pit you to wear a suit. On the way home, you could wear a sweatsuit. End of the game, we're in the locker room and Larry puts on a suit. And I go over to him as his big brother. And I say, hey, bro, like, you don't have to wear this on the way out. And he goes, oh, no, I'm going to wear it. And I said, why? He goes, because people are going to know what I'm about from day one. And he was a pro from jump. He said, oh, here we are, NIL, name, image, and likeness, and branding. He knew what he was going to be about. He's about being a pro. And if you look at him now, he's still probably the best dressed guy in all the sports, or at least in the dialogue. Like he presents himself in a way that he can control. And, and I that always stuck with me. I didn't, I didn't get it at the time, but I said, wow, this guy had a vision for who he was really early on in his career. You know what you said earlier is you said, give me a chance. And when I say, give me a chance, I'm thinking of confidence. I'm thinking of like inner belief. Um, did you always have that? Or maybe this question could be twofold. Let me just kind of pivot off that question. It's going to flow in, into it. I asked you pre, pre time we start recording is if you can run any route, what would it be in terms of confidence to execute? But then, then one B would be like, how do you create confidence? Whether you're Larry Fitz or whether you, you know, wh whoever it is. Yeah. Well, I, favorite route, uh, Right now, I'd probably run some sort of like sit route and find like a little hole in the zone. Uh, but I was good at I I was good with like uh, routes that would break in or out because I I could set up a DB. I wasn't gonna run by anybody, uh, but I could set you up really well with my hands and understanding your body and which way it was moving and turning and leaning. So if I had to run one now, I'd run some form of that, preferably against off coverage. Uh, <laughs> But regarding confidence, this is a really fun question. We ask this to athletes every summer at the Elite 11, uh, which is a quarterback, premier quarterback camp. And I think most athletes answer it the same way, which is confidence comes from experience and it comes from you know, proving that you can do it. And, and I've learned over the years, and you're an expert in this, is confidence comes from your self-talk. Come on. Let's yeah. go, Gervais. Come on. That's right. Yeah. And, and Mike and I have talked about that a lot. And I, and I believe it. And when I look back on my athletic life, I've always always like, kind of like your producer, you know, wanted to be a broadcaster. I was always calling my own games in the backyard, right? Roth line one-on-one -on -one to win the game, missed the first foul shot. Oh, there's a lane violation. Roth back. You got another opportunity to go win the game. I was always talking it out. And I think as a communicator now, as a profession, 
I've always talked everything out. My wife would say I'm an over talker. My friends would tell me, hey, Yogi just needs to slow it down because this dude is always rambling. But I process through communicating. And I think the same thing for me as a competitive athlete was I had to talk to myself, be like, you're good enough. You're worthy. Like, you've got this. I believe in you. Like, just give you a chance. Here's your chance. Time to throw it out. Like, all those little moments. Like, I can remember lining up, you know, on the biggest stage of college football against the Miami Hurricanes in 2002 at the Orange Bowl. They won 34 straight games. And I'm making plays, and it's the final drive to win the game. And I look at the quarterback and say, throw me the ball. It's fourth and eight. Larry's wide open at the sticks. He throws it to me, misses me about six inches laid out in the end zone. We lose the game. But my whole self-talk was like, I've been there. Let's go. I, I do that now. If you looked at my call sheet as a broadcaster, at the bottom, it says two things. It says, celebrate the game, coach the viewer. And before every game, I hit a button, which connects me to the whole control room. And I say, let's go call the natty national championship. So I broadcast, call it hundreds of games now. So when I do call the natty, Colin, I'm not going to trip. Right. And just like when I played at the orange bowl, I didn't trip. I, I wasn't Larry and I'm not saying I'm John Madden, but I do think that confidence comes from how you talk to yourself. And I've seen the dark side of that. And you see it a lot with younger athletes where often they think it's okay to say after they miss a shot, Oh man, I suck. And they're trying to like almost humble brag, but the, the amount of reps, the amount of jabs to yourself, eventually it takes its toll. I've seen it too often versus I throw it to me again, you know, give it to me again off the screen. You know, I'm, I'm going to shoot it again. You know, it's like Brett Barry. I think he said it. Uh, if that's the father, he said like, I'm a, I'm a 60% lifetime shooter. So if I miss my first 10 shots, look out. Cause he knew what he was. He was that confident in himself. So uh, th there's a, there's a fine line of arrogance and confidence, but I think you got to live on it if you want to be a high performer. Yeah, I'm just going to summarize a few things. So I, the first thing, just listen to you about, you know, what, what route would you run? I mean, the first thing of confidence is to be self-aware. What, what is it that I do? What do I enjoy? What do I love? What are my skills? What are my strengths? And then you mentioned most people think experience. Well, you got to put in the work. That's part of number two. You have to do the reps and then put the work in. But really, I think if we were going to really circle and zoom in on one i think the language you say to yourself is the number one pillar because your thoughts influence your feelings your emotions your biochemistry the actions that you take so it starts there but i love also when you would say when you speak out loud you miss the first shot there's a someone stepped over the line for the violations how you your perspective and how you reframe and frame your lens of what you're seeing so listeners that's kind of like a four step we just broke that down the signs of confidence in like 30 seconds let's go <laughs> Let's let's talk about uh, let's just talk about moving from PA to, to LA. How that happened? Because I mean, you live like multiple lives. I mean, you got that life as a college student athlete that most people like dream about. Parents who have kids that spend all this money and all this stuff to get to a scholarship. You got to at least experience playing on a national stage with top performers, and then you get into this coaching world, and you were around arguably, arguably, the most amazing college program of all time during that window, right? Yeah, no, Coach Carroll was, I think the further and further we get removed from it, we see how unique it was. And not because how he won, it's because the culture he created and the amount of fun that was had. And then you add in LA and all that stuff and no NFL media, it was it was bonkers. So to yeah, answer so, your so question. Maybe, so so yeah. the listeners, Yogi coached at USC when they were winning all these national championships, and like, <laughs> like Heisman Trophy winners and Snoop Dogg was on the sidelines of practice. I mean, it was crazy. 
and it was normalized. You know, that's, that was, was the crazy part. Like, I, and I still believe this, that when you sign at USC as a quarterback, your household name, and when you start your Heisman candidate, and that really got going with Pete, you know, because Carson won it, Matt won it. John David Booty was a candidate. Mark Sanchez was a candidate. Matt Barkley was a candidate. Like Sam Darnold was a candidate. Like you just kind of look at the list. You're like, oh yeah, it actually, that's actually kind of true. Uh, but for me, when I was 19, I flew out to LA for the first time on spring break when I was playing. And I met the staff. I met Coach Carroll. I met Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, Mark Jackson, who's the AD at Villanova now. Uh, Eddie O, like Norm Chow, like, the, you know, the, the rock star staff that it was. And I was working their summer camps. And I can remember going to Manhattan Beach with their GA at the time. His name is Brennan Carroll, who ended up being my best man at my wedding, as well as he's now the offensive coordinator at the University of Arizona and Pete's son, who played it. He, and he also played a pit with me. I called my mom and I said, why don't we grow up here? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I've never been to Manhattan Beach either. And I was just in love. I fell in love with LA and in my mind's eye, I was going to find a way back here. That night, I went to dinner with Pete for the first time. And what I learned was that while dramatically different in our careers and our life journeys at the time, we were dramatically similar in our spirit, specifically competitively. And we talked for hours and he said, what do you want to do in life? I'll never forget. It. We were at the chart house in Redondo Beach. And I said, I want to do something great and I want to impact the world in a really cool way. He goes, okay. He goes, all you got to do is create value. And if you just focus on creating value wherever you go, you won't just start climbing rung by rung by rung of the ladder of success. You'll start to leapfrog competition. You won't see it coming, but trust me. And I was like, okay. I'm in, create value. Value is my word. I tell this to you know, young individuals in the professional world all the time. And two years later, they beat Oklahoma in the natty and it's midnight my time in Pittsburgh. I moved back to Pittsburgh from Australia where I played you know, average professional football. And Pete called me, he goes, hey, what do you think about coming out here? And I was like, I'm in. What? I didn't even care what it was. I just wanted a master's degree. I came out, uh, I was in recruiting for the first two weeks. And after that, he sat me in his office over a burrito and he goes, hey, do you want to coach? We got the lowest job on the staff. It's like 15 grand uh, less than what I was making. So I think I, I came out for 40. So I was making, you know, like 25 G's in L.A. Not the, not, not, not the way to necessarily go for everybody out there, but I was in and I started my coaching career and, and really got a master's, I believe, not only academically, but also in the sport of football from him. So what could you pluck? I know you helped write his book, Win Forever, which is a great book on leadership and being self-awareness and knowing who you are and then staying, staying true to who you are and being able to adapt and evolve. But having that, that philosophy is kind of a core pillar of his. But talk about like what you learned from watching Pete and like what are some things that you saw that the great players did or the great leaders on that, on that staff did? I mean, you had a front seat to greatness. Yeah, I think that the, Pete did a lot of things. He, he really has tremendous depth. I think he's known for fun. He's known for community. He's known for his activism. Uh, he's known for allowing his players to be themselves. But he has tremendous depth as a competitor. He, re, he really knows how to create what Bill Walsh coined and he stole or used, which is a competitive cauldron. I, I got the inside look at what a competitive environment looks like. So much so now, like when I go do my job on the Pac-12 networks, I go to practice, I get out to the games really early. I want to see what guys are doing early on. I want to see in the spring football, like 
What's the sideline like? I want to see how intense it is. I want to see how competitive it is. Because I think that's just a very, a very clear indicator of the trajectory of a program. So to give you some specifics, I think what Pete always did and what it did brilliantly was he let the players feel as though they were leading and everybody knew they weren't. Here's an example. We lose to Notre or no, we beat Notre Dame on the Bush push. Remember that game? Who doesn't? 100%. Notre Dame fans deal with it because it was awesome. And we come back. We didn't play great, right? And we're going for a but, third straight natty. But, but can you time out? Was it like fourth and one and we did an audible vertical on the left side? Oh, fourth like, and nine. Yeah. Was a fourth and nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 were, we were running Y option and we audible to, uh, to uh, Sluggo win. Dwayne Jarrett on the slant and go catches it gets tackled inside the five and then to win the game liner decides to keep the sneak which was awesome because we called the sneak from the sideline everybody just nobody thought it was going to happen they thought it was going to spike it it was amazing i broke the tv in notre dame's uh, press box because i jumped up so high and smashed the tv with my hand <laughs> every piece of paper went everywhere my only job was to like scribe what happened and the coverages and you know the play call and everything during the game was disaster afterwards like I had no clue where anything was uh one of the greatest memories of my football life but with that said we come back the following week and the players are like we need a players only meeting i grew up in an era where like, if you read in the newspaper you know the new york yankees had a players only meeting or penn state had a players only meeting you're like look out this team's coming and i was the youngest coach i was i wasn't much older than liner or some of the players so I go down into the meeting and I'm like listening to it. And I'm like, this is bad. Guys are at each other's throats. Like nobody knew how to manage this thing. It was like, offense needs this. Defense needs this. We need to da 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 And, you know, I go back upstairs, a report, and Pete comes down and breaks it up. And he comes in and he goes, okay. Um, you know, he, he kind of just makes, he smooths over the whole thing. And that night he goes, I'm never going to have another players only meeting. I'm never going to allow it. And I said, why not? And he goes, because these guys think that they know how to lead but they really don't like they've never been taught it. So it's my job to make them feel as though they are running this program and feel as though their decisions and their voices are the ones guiding this thing. But I got to make sure that I'm the one guiding it there. And that really blew me away. And, I, and that doesn't mean they don't have a voice. It means though that they're taught principles of leadership by head coaches, assistant coaches, and different examples in practice or different examples in meetings. So you can give them some tools to have ownership versus, hey, just go figure it out. That, that to me was like such a brilliant moment. And even now when I go into call games, I ask the same question to three layers of a program. Head coach, what's your philosophy? Coordinator, what's the philosophy? Player, what's the philosophy? And if they're not in the same realm, I know that they, I'll, I'll, I will predict them to lose the game. And more often than not, I'm right because they're not connected. And, and Pete made sure that his teams were connected. Everybody knew the message. He met with the players every single day, he met with the team every single day. He was connected to both sides of the ball every single day. It was, it was truly an immersive CEO type of role. That's really good. Um, that's so, so cool. So how do you decide to flow out of coaching to tell amazing stories i love that you i love that the, the why i gravitate because i think we're, i was always kind of a big deep thinker emotional thinker trying to piece things together and i think that the art of story does all of that so maybe talk to us how you transitioned out of coaching to to be in to be in films to to make films to tell stories to be on shows to be on all american stories on the cw let's go there we go um 
to uh, life in a walk. I mean, you've done so many cool things and a, a book coming. Is it the book coming this the movie this fall or a book this yeah. book this yeah, fall movie the documentary this winter? So just let's talk about what gravitated you towards telling stories. You know, I I've always done it. I can remember being uh, ten years old at basketball practice, and one of our coaches I don't even remember his name. Uh, I won't say it, but I remember him exactly. He said, "Hey everybody, Yogi's gonna get his MBA." And I said, "No, no, no, coach, I'm gonna get my I'm going to the NBA." He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, he's going to get his MBA. And I said, no, no, I'm going to go play for the Sixers. And what he was saying was probably a compliment to a certain degree. But at 10 years old, I was like, this is the first time somebody took a shot at my dream. First time ever. And granted, I grew up in a tiny town, 2,500 people. Nothing existed other than sport and play. And when I played with my three best friends growing up from every corner of the town, when we woke up in the morning, it was a competition to see who was Jordan, who was Barkley, who was Magic, who was Bird. When we played tennis or when we played football, it was who was Aikman, who was Rice, who was Montana, who was Taylor, right? When it was who was Edberg, who was Borg, who was Chang, you know, in a way, who was Lendl? Like I, I have those vivid memories. We were all going pro in something that was happening. So then when I was told that I wasn't, I was like, whoa. And I went home and started right. And that's the first day that I became a writer. And I'll never forget two years later, I was like the editor of the Trail Times. That was the name of our school. Black on a trail. And my mom said, he's son, I think you're a writer. And I said, nah, mom, I think I'm a pro athlete. But I had always written to my right in my office. I have every journal from college until now. So I have always loved the written word. When you're an athlete, it's not, it's not appropriate now, but it was unfortunately appropriate when I played. And when you were an athlete, storytelling, acting, performing, like that was not for the facility, bro. That was not for your major and the athletic academic department. Like that was, you don't do that. I always gravitated toward that. My brother's an actor. I've been going to plays and theaters my whole life. So I've always loved the performance story side. When I came to LA, not only did I start coaching, getting my master's degree, I started taking acting classes in the off season every Tuesday night. One of the greatest nights of, of my life every week. It was amazing. I meet people from all walks of life. I'd see this side of LA that I didn't, you knew existed, but I was never a part of. And once I started performing and reading, I was like, this is cool. And then USC, we started this website called uscripsit.com, first college football blog. From day one to day two, it became the biggest hit in all of college sports because it was the first access-driven site. I was the host of that site while coaching the quarterbacks while getting a degree. So I would host the staff basketball game. I would interview coaches after a practice in training camp. And then I would also draw plays for the quarterbacks and give them their playbook. So I started getting the taste of this performance thing at a young age. And then when I was playing, I would meet Herb Street and I'd meet Fowler and I'd meet Bob Davey at the time and Todd McShay and all these broadcasters. And I was like, shit, this is a career. I could do this. And then after my four years at SC, I had a chance to go to Washington and a couple other teams. And in my heart of hearts, I was like, I've done football for so long. There's more. And I didn't know what it was. I couldn't tell you I was going to be a storyteller. I was going to make movies, but I just felt like I was going to do something else around sport. And I just trusted my gut and, and walked away. And I walked away. I remember from $100,000 coaching quarterbacks at the University of Washington, I never made more than 35, you know, my man, but neither one of my parents probably made $100,000 in their life. But something in me said, you, there's more. I have always felt this kind of, if I started coaching at Iowa State, I'd still be coaching. But because I was in LA, 
because I did four years in LA, I didn't leave after one year and go to Ole Miss with Eddie O. I didn't leave after year two and go to Idaho. I didn't leave after year three and go to the Raiders lane. Like I kept staying because I kept saying something about this town, something about Pete. I want to keep honing my football craft and there's something else. And, and, it, and that's what it became. It became me developing a career with a love for football, but also love for telling stories about the game and not coaching four quarterbacks, but every Saturday, maybe coaching 4 million who watch it, maybe creating a piece that impacts 4 million. Like that's what I'm into. And it took a while for me to articulate what I'm about, but that was always the thing that was kind of rumbling. So it began as a writer in a journal. And once I got like my dream taken away by, by, by a coach whose words were ones I wouldn't recommend to a 10 year old. And, you know, thankfully the, the fire is still, still, still going pretty strong. I love that. I love that. And you, you kind of mentioned philosophy a few times. I've heard that, that theme woven through. I'd love to learn your philosophy on how to craft and tell a, a, an awesome story. I think uh, there's a lot of layers to it, but at the end of the day, a story, a good story makes you feel something. Period. Like it makes you feel something. And I think my job as a storyteller is to make you feel something. And what I hope to do is nudge you to do something. Like every one of my stories has to do that. Uh, it might blow your mind and make you reconnect with your dad. If you watch life in a walk, it may I have a film coming out called the Cape. It may nudge you to book a trip around the world or dive into your 23 and me and find where you're from or what you're about. It might be a football piece and it might cause you to, well, you know, I'm going to look at people a little bit differently. I'm going to look at, you know, I, I did a piece on a homeless linebacker for the 49ers who grew up homeless, had nothing, and now is given everything. It's a really unique, interesting discussion around like influencer give, influencers are given all these things for free, right? Because you got 100,000 followers, but the people that really need it, like a 14-year-old on the streets in Florida, which was, you know, this young man, Aziz Alshire, he was never given anything. He had the same pair of shoes his entire high school career for the most part. And to me, I hope that nudges you to look at homeless people and not judge them. You know, so everything for me, even if it's just does it to my wife or my close circle or maybe the masses is, is, is built to make you feel something and, and hopefully nudge you to do something. That's it. Well, I think we got a future broadcaster, T-Money, on the ones and twos. Man, you got access to someone who's done it. T-Money, what, what type of questions did you have? Yeah, I mean, I just I'm just curious how you – got into broadcasting was it the connections you made it kind of seems like it was those connections you made coaching at usc um what sparked you to get into broadcasting and do what you're doing today yeah i think number one i go back to being a kid right like i look out at our garage here on the zoom and when i was a kid i was throwing the tennis ball against the garage pitching nine innings and i was calling the game and i was yeah. just pitching to a box that had tape around it or paint around it. So right. Cool. So I was painting the corners and, you know, it would bounce off the garage and then I'd be the shortstop diving to get it. And then I'd be thrown to first base. Right. So I was, I've always been calling my games. You know, when mm -hmm. I was in college, I would work out at, you know, I was a walk on at first. So I had to have a couple jobs. And one of them, not surprisingly, was me being a bouncer. If you've ever met me, you know, my stature is pretty massive. Um, that, that's obviously not true, but I was a bouncer for a, at a bar and at three in the morning, I would be driving home and I would always sit there myself and I'd say, no one else was working out. And I'd pull over to Duquesne university in Pittsburgh and I would run routes and I'd run the last 12 routes and the last 12 would be the 12 game schedule. And every catch I made 
it was in my imagination. Every catch I made in my imagination was the game winner. Right. So I was always calling that though. Roth lines up to the slot, 10 seconds left. They're on the road. Here we are at Virginia tech. The stadium's going crazy. They got their Turkey callers out and here's number 82 in the slot. What are they going to call? It's a crossing route. Roth touchdown. Like I would call that when I was playing Um, on a, on a um, very specific side of it. When producers and talent came to call our games at Pitt, I made sure I met them. Right. Mm -hmm. So Michael Fountain was the first guy I met. He was a Pitt alum. He ran college game day for the first eight or nine years of that show. They came to our campus. I got to meet you. I started sitting on production meetings. I started going to TV trucks. I started meeting different producers. They'd be there for the basketball season. I'd go to dinner with them. Like I was just not finding connections, like take the word and throw it away. Like I was building legit relationships, guys. I still talk to, but I've never worked with from when I was 19 to now. Mm -hmm. I did that. And then I worked it you know, and, and, and then work the craft, you know, and I think those relationships got me in the door, right? I left coaching. I called Michael Fountain and I said, Hey, put me on. Or he, I said, Hey, I just left coaching. He goes, Oh, okay. He goes, well, tell me about Matt Barkley. Cause USC just signed him and he's a five-star recruit. And I said, well, put me on TV. I'll tell you all about him. And he's, yeah. he oversaw a show named, uh, what was it called? College, college football live. And he goes, all right, yoga, I'll put you on, but I'll give you one chance. And if you screw up, I won't put you back on. And I said, cool, I don't have a job. So put me on. (laughs) And I went on college football live for two years, you know, for free Mm -hmm. and kind of earned my stripes. So I think the relationships got me there, but I always like to think that, you know, the talent or, you know, the, the drive that you have is, is what can potentially keep you there. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I'd love to learn about what'd you learn through like through acting school, man? Like, cause I'm, my job, I think as a mindset coach is to help you perform help you perform and in, in performance it's in broadcasting or coaching or if you're selling something selling a product giving a pitch if you're playing basketball or golf what, what you got mr t money is a great golfer by the way he's a captain of the uh, vikings golf team uh but like let's talk about performance and kind of what you've learned because you had you're when the the cameras are, are alive i mean you can't redo it you know and then whether through it's through your acting training whether it's through playing at a high level coaching at a high level maybe some some of the tools there yeah i think acting for me there's two things that i really take away from it number one i've never had any formal broadcast training purposely right my school didn't offer it so we didn't have it like i wasn't like team money going to get a broadcast degree we, we didn't even exist at the time so i just kind of fell into it and i'm glad i did that because i think a lot of the broadcast schools i go to and team money i'm advising you on this take it for whatever you'd like to I think a lot of times you get out of your own voice, right? And all of a sudden you become the broadcast voice and welcome to the podcast. I'm Colin and Team Money. Welcome to the show. And you're not grounded in your own voice. You never get to get to know it. I believe that as a human, our job is to get to know our voice and begin to master it. Right now, I, I've got a mastery on my voice. Like I know that through the reps. Of, I know when I need to land something. When I need to like land something you know like I, I know that and i think you learn of that a lot of that in acting uh, the biggest lesson though i learned in, in acting class was the willingness and the necessity around listening on my call sheet right it says listen like your life depends on it listen like your life depends on it and and that to me is a huge deal for me because if you've ever seen bad acting you'll know that the person is thinking about their next line looking at their script not connected to the present moment And for me, someone who sits in a booth 
you know, a hundred, couple hundred feet up from the field, my partner, Ted Robinson, we have to listen to each other like our life depends on it because he might say something that only I could hear, right? Like here's an example. Um, let's just say we were talking about Colin Henderson, the athlete, but I was calling him Colin Gunderson, right? Colin Gunderson on the catch. Ted might say, and I love how Colin Henderson did that. If I'm not listening to him like my life depends on it, I don't realize, oh my God, I screwed that up, right? And that's happened to me many times where I've done the former and the latter. So that, that's the first thing, because when you listen like that, that's what we're doing right now. We're having an authentic relationship. The best acting, the best scene is when it feels like they're doing it and you're just kind of behind a mirror or a window and watching it. So that, that's one. And then two, especially when you're holding a script, um, my acting coach, Bob Bancroft, who also co-wrote my book, he said, Yogi, think of this script as an extension of the body, just like a football. And that made a lot of sense to me. So even now when I'm holding a mic, it's an extension of my body. Right. Or if you have a clicker and you're presenting Colin at a keynote presentation, it's an extension of your body. Like it's part of your flow. That to me has always resonated. So you have this weird stick you're holding and shove it in somebody's face. How do you make it a part of your arm? How do you make it a part of who you are? So those, those are probably the two biggest things that I took and, and probably even having fun. Like acting is make believe. It's a blast. I think in our jobs, whether you're in hard news or in reality, like it's a game. You can make it a little too intense. You could take yourself a little too seriously versus having to do a scene and make up words the whole time and still get a point across, right? That's like a classic acting exercise. I love it. <clears throat> I love that. So I, I took some really good notes on that one. Um, but uh, as you kind of wrap up, I have one angle I could kind of get into and kind of learn from because I'm a student first is no one teaches us about like courage and like fear and like failure. And you would probably say the best performers you've seen they don't let one failure roll into all these failures. They're able to lean into to fear. So maybe give us some insights on like, you took some big leaps in your life. You took some big jumps on whether making movies, writing books, um, moving to LA, you know, getting married, having kids, all the things. I mean, it, it takes courage to do some of these things. To tell a great story takes courage. To get vulnerable and being authentic, the first thing I wrote down is stay grounded in your own voice. Like knowing your voice is kind of scary sometimes, is being, being who you are. So maybe educate us maybe on your philosophy or what you've learned through your life about, about courage. Yeah, sure. I think the voice thing was fun because like if like the poll would be for your listeners, like, I don't know how many have voicemails anymore, but if you heard your own voicemail, if you watch yourself on camera, what's your first reaction? A lot of people are like, oh, I don't really like that. You got to work on it. Like, can you get to a place where you're like, I love that. Like, that's my voice. Like, I'm down with that. Like, this is me. And this is me controlling it. And this is me having fun with it. So I think there's, there's something legit in that regard. I think around courage to me, um, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this. I'd be curious it, it, where you stand on it. But years ago, I read a book about the guy I looked up to and modeled my athletic career after Jerry Rice. And he said he was driven by the fear of failure. And nothing bothered me more. Because this is a guy I partnered, like I, my workouts were based on him. My life was based on him. He was a under-recruited, undervalued player who became the best player in the history of football, one might argue, at least in the dialogue for that. And I've never liked that. I've never liked um, to be driven by the fear of something, uh, specifically failure. I, I, never I never knew the term like fail fast and all the things that are catchy now. Um, I just knew that I didn't like that. I did not feel comfortable around the idea of like, I'm going to be driven by people doubting me. That's going to give me the courage. 
Because I think that's BS. I think that it falls apart. I think that it's really external. I tell high school quarterbacks this every, excuse me, every year, and even college players, stop trying to prove people wrong and start trying to prove yourself right. I think that's the courage. You know, psychology, basic psychology would say to do anything, you have to say it out loud, you have to write it down, you have to tell somebody who can hold you accountable. Courage. Like that's courage. Not saying, hey, screw them, man. I'm a show Notre Dame. They passed on me. I thought that way because that's where I wanted to go. And they passed on me. So I went to the school that played them the most, which was Pitt. Literally the reason I went to college there. I was driven by, by proving people wrong. Totally a large part of my career. But in the last decade or so, I've really flipped it of like, I don't want to tell a good story. Give me a chance. Hey, hey, Pete, um, your book's kind of, you know, the process of Pete's book was a dramatic one. And it wasn't great at the end because someone else was writing it. And I said, hey, I could do it. And he goes, oh, yeah, go do it. And I wrote it over a three-day weekend, over Thanksgiving, you know, and knocked it out. Give me, like, I go back to what I said in the jump, like, give me a chance. I'm down if I don't catch it. Like, I have one photo in my office. I know we're on Zoom, so I don't know if people would see this, but it's a photo of me against Miami. And it's a cool picture because it's that play where I don't catch the ball. And for years, I was driven by that. It was the front page of Miami Herald. I, you know, I would, I would go down and lower at Pitt if I make that play and we'd be the walk-on, beat the number one team in the country, like, let's go. And I didn't make that play six inches over my fingertips. And I used to, the, the, the image used to wear on me like, damn, I can't believe that didn't happen. I worked so hard. Why didn't the story finish like that? And what I learned was like, that's a great example of like outcome we don't control, but you got a shot in the game, man. And, and it's the only photo I'll allow of myself in my house playing because I don't want to be that guy. Um, I, and I don't have a ton of great photos of me playing anyway, but I, I just think that that is it, man. Like, that's how I feel about courage. Like, do you have the courage to say it out loud, to write it down, to really believe it and then go for it. And if you do, then let's ride. And if you're BS and if you're just talking or if you're trying to prove other people wrong, and if you're hating on you know, the people that are your quote unquote haters and I don't really have time for that. Like, I think that, that I, and I don't think you'll win. I think you might for a little while. And I, I know quarterbacks in the NFL who have had success for a couple of years and then have totally bombed because of that, because it's been about proving everybody else wrong. And I, I, I just think that the greats, even Jerry Rice has won and he felt that way for a long time. Maybe it works. It's a methodology that clearly has, but to me, man, that is, I think that's a lot of wasted energy. Well, and it, it's hard to, to be great at something for the long haul if you don't it's not coming from a place of like joy and love and passion yeah. if it's all this extrinsic fear i love that it's really good team money maybe you can think about one last question i think i got one or two more i'm thinking about like what's like next for you like what's your what's your driving like what's the vision for yogi and your your ask what's next five years like what do you see yourself doing in like the next five like what's your driving force like this purpose for you it's really cool you asked that every may i i usually uh just take time to myself and I go around and meet with my different mentors and influences. The last two Mays haven't been able to do that, right? Pandemic, no one was going anywhere. And I had spring football up until May 29th. Uh, so I've done it the last two weeks. So if you looked at like my whiteboard, it says college football, it says conversations, because that's two things I'm really about. And then it says five-year vision right down the middle. So I, I'm in the throes of, of coming out of it. Like the word I've meditated on over the last couple of weeks is clarity. Like, what, what is it? And I think it changes when you become a dad and a husband around. It used to be like, I don't know, call it 
Good Morning America or call it like one of those big jobs, I don't really want that anymore. Like that's not a focus for me. My focus is on seeking and uncovering radical stories in sport around the world and for six months impactful football and being the best on planet earth at it. Like, that's what I want to do. I, I think for me, for the next five, 10, I hope 20 years, I hope I'm the voice of this conference. I love it that much. I don't have a desire to fly to South Carolina for four days. I have a desire to fly to Pullman for two and a half days, you know, and bring my kids. I have a desire to, you know, call games in Tucson and Tempe. And I have a desire to sit down with people at Stanford, like David Shaw, like, I really love the Pac-12 and that vibe. And then for me, I think I want to continue to grow as an engine of content. Like, that's where I've netted out. Like, I've sold or created a story a year for about the last decade. I'm ready to, to make that three or four a year. Like, that, that's where I'm going to put some energy into it. Um, because I'm learning now through, you know, a little bit of success. Like, you can, the more you take out, the better chance you have for more to land versus spending so much time on just one project. And I think the CW show that you referenced that helped me out a lot of being like, okay, we have 200 stories that I know and have researched. We told eight of them. There's a lot of ways to tell the other 192, right? Docs, scripted, articles, shows, like somewhere I'm talent, somewhere I'm not, and I'm an executive producer. So I think five years, I hope that I have an engine of sorts that's creating some content. I love it. So good. Very inspiring. I, I love it. Con, uh, an, an engine of content bro you're kind of challenging me to think about that i love making content too uh t money bro you got you got the the last question before I, I wrap it up yeah i mean i've been kind of thinking about it i know you said you're huge on stories that's something that i'm super passionate about too how have you developed your story talent your your storytelling like abilities over the years do you think that's just from experience or how has that grown oh no it's a lot of ways man uh, and they're really fun. Like one is I try to watch something new a week. Like I don't have the time to watch something new a night. I used to be on the, that kick, right? So I, I might not watch the whole series, but I'll watch, oh man, they filmed, um, you know, uh, Birdman with a single camera the whole time. How'd they do that? And every take was one take. Okay. So how did they rehearse that? Okay. That's kind of cool. Uh, E60, hey, Jason Johnson, how'd you do that piece? Like, how many cameras did you use? What'd you do with the lighting? Like, children's book. Oh my God, this amazing book by Chris Burkhardt. I love that. Hey, Chris, come on my podcast. I want to talk about this book, The Boy Who Saved the Earth. And so I, I think I am, I'm a consumer of that, right? I, like, mm -hmm. I subscribe to the newsletters. Like, I'm trying to see how people are, excuse me, piecing it together. And then I, I clean the slate. Like, and by that, I mean, before, at the end of the football season, I delete every podcast I follow. I delete everything that I'm DVRing. I start over because it, it becomes too much, right? I never mm -hmm. listen to it all. I never watch it all. Okay, what else am I interested in? Like I'm constantly checking in on where am I leaning, right? So now as a dad, uh, I am really leaning into children's stories, right? And I'm seeing life through the eyes of my kids or for the eyes of my kids and the souls of my kids. So I just wrote my first children's book, right? Pumped on that because I'm reading them all the time. Yeah, I could create one of those. Okay, can I create a series? Could I create a doc series? What, what do kids want to watch? Like, so I think for me, it's being exposed to a lot. It's asking a lot of questions. Then ultimately, man, it's trying it. Yeah. Trying it. Like it's, it's teaching yourself how to edit. It's throwing yourself into the live game because you can do it, right? When, I, mm -hmm. when Colin and I were coming up in your age, we needed somebody to give us the green light. 
Wi-Fi didn't exist. There was no Facebook Live. None of that. Now you want to show, send in the URL, go to godaddy.com, create the platform and hit it. And I tell this to a lot of aspiring broadcasters is you can call every game under the sun. You may not get paid for it. Nobody may listen to it, but there's even apps now. I forget the name of the app, but you could literally call a game you're seeing on television. Other people could listen to it. So storytelling chops, I'm just in the business of it. I'm, I'm obsessed with it on all facets. I'm trying to learn about it. There's never enough time in the day, but hopefully I'm curating, conversing, articulating. Uh, and that's why conversations are such a big bucket for me. It's interviewing yeah. people. It's sharing what I know. It's teaching a class. So I'm sharp and I'm concise. Like, those muscles, you know, it's kind of like cross training. Like I'm definitely a cross trainer as a storyteller. I mean, you might say. I know just picking up on that, you've clearly tell stories with through so many different methods. Um, how has it just been like you just jumped into it to try writing a picture book? Or I know you said you started like telling the story about the recruit. Um, how have you picked up and have you just jumped into the different types of storytelling? That's a great question. I think I have, my favorite phrase for, for athletes is to meet, is, is quote, meet them where they sweat, right? So I got to meet myself where I sweat as a storyteller, you know, or the people that I'm trying to talk to, I have to meet them where they sweat. That's how I'm going to get the best story out of them. So whether that is meeting somebody on a track, meeting them in a coffee shop, meeting them on a plane, meeting them in a backyard, doing it in, in one modality versus another. It, it's partly like where my curiosity lies and also where the subject lies. And there's a cool intersection there, man, that is really fun to play around with because no two people are the same. So I, I, I would go there if I was advising anybody is where do you have an interest and just try it. Right? I may never write another children's book the rest of my life, but I have a feeling I'm going to try to write like 10 more because it was a really fun experience to do it and animate it and have the imagery around it and then share it to my kid and have it revised by my kid. Like what a cool thing. All American stories. I brought my kids to set because I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm not just going to take off and do the dad thing. I might be an, I might be a seven as a producer instead of a 10, but it's going to be a great experience. And now when my kid and I watch this, Zane is like, that's Leo. I remember him. And he had one leg. That guy was amazing. And he watched the short film that he helped produce or carry a camera for or just be around for. So yeah, I say lean in to whatever your interest lies and don't get overwhelmed and try to just do one at a time. Love it. That's, that's good stuff. I love it. Well, uh, Yogi, it's been a, a fun, fun time, man. Th- thank you so much for energy, for uh, being who you are, being open, you know, knowing your voice, sharing your stories and sharing your philosophy for our listeners. So grateful. Um, aside from wanting to, you know, I, I love hoops as my, my sport of choice now too uh would love to play some some hoop with you and i also have a book for, for kids coming out this fall which i'm excited about but nice. uh the last the last question i want to talk to you is like how could you based off of your life experience and what you know um and kind of what you know now if you were talking to your younger self how do we master our mindset it's that's a tough one right like i mean you're the pro at this everything i've read is like our minds don't even fully develop till we're 25. So I think, and, and we're doing this, or at least experimenting with it with a six-year-old is like r- taking a minute, like taking a breath with your own mindset. 
right? Like I'm in therapy now, which I love talking about because I think it's important. And the best thing I did, like my mom died, it was a pandemic, football season flipped. I was like, I need to talk to somebody. So my wife and I started going to this family therapist. She's amazing. This older woman. And she said, uh, God, you're terrible at self-compassion. And I was like, God, you're right. My whole life has been about like, hey, you got a scholarship. No kidding, I got a scholarship. Hey, your book is a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, that was the plan. What's next? It was never like, good job, dude. Right? It was never, let me take a second here. So I think to master your mindset, like you got to get to know it, right? You got to know what sets you off, kind of be aware of it. You got to know what drives you and fuels you, kind of be aware of it and ask for more there. And amid all of it, take a minute like when our kid loses it because his little brother took his lego it's like dude let's just take a breath is it well, all right now what do we want to do like you don't want to grab his arm or whatever it might be and and i say that like because there's a quote that i always think about which is the father is son to the man and i think as a father now i understand that so at times um your kid can teach you so much, you know, like it's, it's really true. You know, at times we can learn in so many different cycles, right? Like team money is a millennial mentor, a Gen Z mentor for you, Colin, right? Because you're around him all the time. Like you're learning from him and you're pouring into each other. So to master your mindset, it's a lifelong journey, man. But I think awareness is key. Like it's so key. And, and if you're not having a tribe and community around you, that's like, Hey bro, like, check yourself here or are you good? I, I, I just think that because there's so many pressures and, and T-Money, like you're living it with the phone and the device and what's going on and what can happen to you. So I think it's it's probably like finding some power in a pause might be the way I would summarize that. There you go. To, to breathe, sit back, have, have compassion for self, see the whole picture, chill yeah. out a little bit. That's great. Uh, Yogi, thank you, brother. So much fun. You want to tell the listeners where, where we can find all your awesome stuff? Well, yeah. First, after you tell me about your next children's book. Come on, man. This is a two-way street here. What's happening? When is this coming out? Okay. The book is called Quiet Mind. Oh, so, buying it. And I have a, a version for adults and a version for uh, kids. Um, just because, you know, I'm a father of five. You're a father. So we have all these this content to do stay stay self-aware to respond to to have poise like i think kids need access to these tools so um i'll give a quick little insight we're teaching kids what we call the best method so it's an acronym just as simple we want this in all schools our vision is get this get this four-step system in every school possible so b is is to breathe when you notice mr worry pop up doubt worry fear First step is to breathe and E is to envision. We're gonna in introduce how to, how to visualize. It's like how you visualize broadcasting yourself, making big plays all, all over the field. I mean, a lot of times when fear comes in, we envision failure or mistakes or bad things happening. We wanna shift, you know, I notice worry, we're gonna envision something positive. Then S is self-talk. How, how do we talk to ourselves? I mean, you said it before, the number one source of confidence comes from self-talk. And then T is a life changer, which is teaching young kids how to be thankful and, and gratitude. And so that's like a big high level work. And then you can do that within, within 10 seconds. 
take a slow deep breath. Picture the outcome that you want, not the not not this this mistake that you don't want. Say a word, a kind word to yourself to you know to be have that compassion to to channel the right movement, and then just give a give a thought of, of thanks. You know, I, I I get to be in, the, in in this moment. How's it worked with your kids? I'm sure your house subscribes to the oh to the well, best tell model. Me, oh man, I have all kinds of methods in our in our kids, man. Um, I will say this. So so Baylor, our, our son who's eight years old, he'll be nine here in a few weeks. This was his first like real year of like baseball. So obviously I'm, I love the mental game. I love talking about all the things I just shared with you. And, and, and we, and we talk about this, you know, as a family, the power of language, um, the power of service, power of gratitude. We have different tricks that we do and as a, we eat as a family and at, at night before we go to bed. But during this baseball thing, I, I don't really tell them what to do. I just basically said, Baylor, just before each at bat, you know, you're about to hit, just close your eyes and just daydream hitting lasers. Mm-hmm. Just, just, like, just feel the bat in your hand and see the pitch you want. And just don't just think it, but like daydream and use all your senses. Now I'm, I'm teaching the power of imagery, by the way, but we just mm-hmm. say just daydream and just feel it and think about it. And so his first game this year, I didn't tell him to do this while some of his teammates were warming up. Like the other coach was um, dragging the field. Like he went to the batter's box with his bat, with his eyes closed and was visualizing doing like sh- shadow dry swings. Oh, cool. I'm going to start, I'm going to start crying. But, Cause I'm totally, like, man. I was like, it's like, I don't care if you fail. I don't care if you struggle every time, but you know, this is a like a way to get men. I don't say mental rest, but I'm just teaching them, bro. Just, just imagine having fun and the ball coming in and seeing them just feel it in your mind and then, in your in your soul and your spirit so the first pitch he saw he badly lead off that game he's eight years old he hit a freaking rod up the middle so you love that too well I, w- I would love it if he struck out three times in his last at bat he had a great great body language and, and did something good for his team i'd be more proud of how to respond to failure than having success but yeah it, it was just kind of cool like seeing him apply it in his own way without me like making him do anything it's amazing man they're lucky to have you that's that's awesome. Yeah, I will be buying that. I want the first copy. Let's go. Well, and, and it's it's a short. It's a it's a it's a picture. So we tell a story of a of a, a little girl named Ray. And and Ray has to give us has to speak in front of her peers, and she, you know, tenses up because I, I I used to stutter pretty bad. I still work through that all the time. It's like just fear of this lie of perfection and getting t- self worth tied to an outcome and performance. So I'm really telling a story of experience I felt when I was in the in the sixth grade, like reading out loud. Oh, it's great, man. I can't wait yeah. to see it. Congratulations. Well, yeah. Thank you. How about your book? Yeah, it's going to be cool, man. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's about the concept of free fun, which to me is like a huge part of our house. It was my upbringing. And I think for kids now, there's so much that, that we can offer them, right? Like our kids know how to, our only one, thank God, like he can order on Amazon right now if he wanted to, like he knows how it works. Like kids are smart. So it's basically about a boy who's on this journey to find free fun. And he's looking for it everywhere. He thinks he can find it everywhere. And he's looking for clues everywhere. And he realizes that like, it's really just around him. And it's, it's been fun because we, we do that a lot. Like we, we, we scream that word, that phrase every time we're at the beach or if we're doing something cool, Hey Zane, what are we doing right now? It's free fun dad. You know? So uh, I love that. And I think the greatest content is, is the content you connect with. Like I did an exercise the other day where I just kind of sat on the couch and I was like, okay, five-year vision, like what lights me up? 
Like if I was gone tomorrow, what would I be really excited that I took a shot at? Is the Olympics, the Rose Bowl were one and two. They've been one and two my whole career, you know? And then it was like telling stories that I think move people, right? I got a bunch of projects that are cool, just like you, but when I, I hadn't gotten quiet with that in a long time. And then you think about our, where are you investing your time? How are you investing your time creatively? There's only so much bandwidth with kids, right? As you know, and creative bandwidth shrinks with kids because you need pockets of, I think, hours. I can't write a book in 15 minutes, you know, when the baby takes a nap or 30 minutes. Like I have to kind of find my flow there a little bit. But yeah, I'm, I'm pumped on it. I'm, I'm excited for it to come out. I'm excited to have the partner that we have for it. And it's going to come out in a, in a cool way. So I'll make sure that it, when it does, uh, the, the children's book, I think will come out over the holidays. And then our film, I'm hoping, debuts September 1st. So we'll see. We're getting close on that. Bro, I'm, I'm so pumped to get that. I love that phrasing, free fun. We should just be broadcasting that to everybody. Um, but now you got to tell us, where can we find all your great yeah. stuff, your content? <laughs> you're, you're great follow on Instagram, too. Oh, yeah. I'm easy, man. Just yogiroth.com has everything. Um, and it's yogiroth on every social platform. So whatever you want. Um, uh, I, I'm operational. Maybe not elite, but I'm operational. Even on even on TikTok, we just started that, which has been pretty fun. I, I brought on a, a fellow high school rock star down here in LA, who's uh, he's like, dude, you need to get on it. And I was like, all right, you coach me, man. You be my mentor yeah. there. Yeah, I looked on your like link tree. That's number one up top. Let's go. Let's 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 build that that, that brand. Uh, <laughs> I've, been looking for, that. I've been looking for some some dance moves. But uh, Yogi, thanks again. And we end every single episode with this phrasing, this thought, this philosophy. The body has limits, but the mind is limitless. Right.